That's good. That's all good. Hi there, and I'm just here with my friend Stephen Cree, and we're going to have a, a, a chat about Stephen's journey into acting, really. And um, we first met through our good good friend Chris Boyd's charity work, isn't it? That's where, and you did an amazing right. auction. Remember the auction? Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> Tell us the, a little um, bit about that, Stephen. Who are we? That's right. That was the um, uh, with the. Uh, with the t-shirts yeah with the the little princess t-shirts the little princess t-shirts and you did an amazing auction with the script in the box the script in the box that's right that's right um a lovely a lovely uh outlander fan called nadra um, Uh, had made for me um nadra's from um lebanon and she had this really beautiful wooden box made um uh, inscribed in Arabic uh, on the lid of the box right. and so I auctioned that off with uh, uh, with a signed script um, of Outlander and I think maybe a couple of photos and uh, and a Skype chat uh, with myself as well which is probably not of that much interest to many many people. Well it was of um, interest because I well, remember seeing it. The, the, the Outlander fan base are uh, incredibly, inc- I mean, I I don't know what other fan bases of other shows are like, yeah. but they are the most um, enthusiastic and supportive um, uh, of people um, that that you could meet. And when there's a cause, um, a charitable cause that that they that they want to get behind and help you support, they're just amazing. And as God. we found on that, I mean, it was actually yeah. I can't. I, I can't, how much did we raise? I, well, I remember you saying to me, I always remember I was walking down um, Argyle Street, coming up in the Buchanan Street, and you said, have a look at the auction. And I looked at it, and it was something like, and it wasn't finished, and it was a, over a thousand, and then it went up. Yeah, and it went, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, it was a couple ends, of grand, wasn't it? I think it ends up over two grand, yeah. Yeah. Which was just, I mean, just absolutely, absolutely amazing. So... And I think that's the thing. I think, you know, the great thing about Chris's charity, um, you know, raising awareness yeah. uh, for, for mental health, it's, it's come at a time in the last two or three years, we're certainly in the UK, um, we've seen it at the, at the forefront of um, the media and the social media and people talking about it a lot more, and particularly amongst males. Um, you know, that, the terrible statistic of how, you know, how many male suicides there are. Uh, a year and just um, you know for some for a public figure particularly in sport football as well like Chris um, you know to to highlight this I think people just you know certainly what I discovered from that in the Outlander fan base people really get behind um, causes like that and I I think if we that's the thing that I certainly what you you know I love being involved with the charity about was Especially with, with men and mental health, certainly where I was, I grew up, and I'm sure it was the same with you. As as you just didn't talk about that, or you didn't talk. Oh. Never mind mental health. You didn't talk about emotions unless you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. absolutely. Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's what you know. I remember. Uh, I remember speaking to Chris about it, and I was saying, I think you know, if I said to my bro- brother, "How are you feeling?" Uh, you know. If, if Derek ever watches this, he might dispute that. But I think he'd be like, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. that's a little, I think one, it's quite a, for a, for a man to say to a man, mm. still, how, how are you feeling or how does that make you feel? 
I think in this country in particular, um, we don't necessarily articulate our feelings. Yeah. So sometimes we don't even necessarily know yeah. how it makes us feel yeah. because we don't speak. I, I'm, I'm very used to it now. Like I, I work yeah. in an industry where you're having, to, you're having to wonder how the character feels and da-da-da-da-da. So it's very much part of, you know, <clears throat> part of my job um, uh, to look at it that way. But uh, no, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's still very, you know, in Scotland oh. in particular, being stoic. Yeah. Yeah, not, often not showing your feelings. Not showing your feelings. I, I I often tell the story. Not often. I tell the story when I'm doing uh, courses about first time I went to America was in 1984 to coach football in the camps. You know the summer camps. I was and, four uh, years old at that point. Yeah. Well, I'm showing my age now. Showing my age. And, and at the end of the summer, this talks directly to what you were speaking about. All the boys, every all the, the people are working, were saying goodbye. And there was all these American footballers and everything. And they were all hugging each other. And, you mm. know, like, not so much tears coming down the eyes, but emotionally saying goodbye. Yeah. And I always remember that I had never seen anything like that. You know, and I was, yeah. you know, I was at that point. And I went, whoa, what's this? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, and, you know look, if you watch, sorry. Yeah, come on, carry on. If you watch American, I watched an American documentary recently on Netflix called Cheer which I absolutely loved. It was about cheerleading. Uh, Navarro, Navarro College, I think it's called. And um, it was so much more about cheerleading. It was about the kids and their backgrounds. And, you know, a lot of the kids had come from really, really tough, um, um, underprivileged backgrounds. And um, they were speaking, you know, the young kids as well, 16, 17, 18, spoke a lot about their feelings and how stuff made them feel and why they were a certain way. And this real understanding of feelings and I've noticed that a lot with Americans over the years when I've been mm. in America myself as well Americans are much more open in talking mm. about how something made them feel or even understanding yeah. how something uh, makes them feel and it's yeah we're still we're still not like that here yeah. if I go back to Scotland but down here a lot of my friends down here um, whether they're necessarily an acting or not but I'll just automatically hug people mm. it's just kind of how a lot but when I go back up to Scotland and I see my friends up there or my brother or whatever, I have to remind myself that they're not necessarily huggers. And sometimes I'll hug somebody that I've just met and I can feel they're like, whoa, whoa. you know, what are you doing? And I have to, I actually just, I tweeted that yesterday. I was saying when this is, you know, when we're able to again, actually I've, I've missed, you know, that interaction and just yeah. giving somebody a hug. Or, you know, I, I hope that, I'm sure that once the lockdown, not even the lockdown, but, you know, the restrictions and um, maybe it won't be until we get a vaccine, but I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't take away, uh, you know, I hope people aren't too scared to go yeah. back to, you know, um, shaking hands or physical contact. And I think that's a great point. And, you know, you know, we will, if we speak about, you know, the, that emotional literacy in men and, and the change in the mental health. Certainly I, I noticed it. And um, I tell the, again, I tell the story because I traveled a fair bit when I was young. The first time I ever went abroad, you know, from that epicenter of, of travel called Brora yeah. in the Highlands. Yeah. I never went from uh, to Spain or Portugal. I got a one-way ticket to Israel. Oh, and, wow. and it gets worse in terms of going somewhere. Between me buying the ticket and getting on the plane, the first Lebanese war started. 
Oh, wow. And being, being, being the Scotsman I am, I thought, I'm not wasting that ticket. <laughs> <laughs> and the serious point about it, I remember I went, and it was an amazing experience for me. And it broadened my horizons, my view of the world. But I remember being on the, the plane, a, a charter plane from uh, Gatwick, and feeling scared what I was going mm. to and thinking I shouldn't. Mm. You know, and, and thinking I, I was kind of something wrong with feeling that feelings. And, and, mm. and I think sometimes that stoicism or that thing is, if, if young men in particular don't realize the emotions it's having, that can give you a warped perception of, of the world, I think. And I think that's yeah, yeah. changing now. You know? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I certainly hope it is. I hope yeah. so. And I think it's important for, you know, hopefully the more and more people like Chris, people in the, in the you know, because I, uh, rightly or wrongly, I think when people in the public eye speak about, I felt depressed, I felt sad, I felt this, I felt that, it, it does encourage, um, uh, you know, that conversation to happen uh, in the wider sphere. And um, I know that, you know, I, funnily enough, I, when, I was, when I was a teenager, I always planned to go to Israel. I watched them. Um, the film Jesus Christ Superstar when I was a kid and it was shot right. in Israel. Yeah. I, I always wanted to go to Israel for um, uh, kind of the historical reasons. I thought it looked beautiful. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not yeah. religious, but yeah. I was fascinated by the religious history. And so me and my friends, yeah. we were going to go to the kibbutz. Yeah. And we turned 17 and he said, right, let's do it then. I'm going to book my ticket. Let's go yeah. and we'll do it. And I said... Uh, I'm going to go to Magaluf instead for two weeks. <laughs> so, 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 so he went. He went off to Israel to the kibbutz. Yeah. Still speaks about it. He went on to be. He's, he's actually he's a journalist for the BBC. Martin yeah. Patience. Yeah. His name is. He, he went on to report from the Gaza Strip. Yeah. And uh, I went to Magaluf for two weeks. And Not I have a to, bad I, option. Not a bad option. I have to say, a, cu- a couple of days into the holiday in Magaluf, I sorely regretted it. Um, and I've still never been to Israel. And I would love to. I've actually just moved house recently. And our new neighbours are from Israel. And um, it's a country I would love to, uh, I would love to visit. But I, I, I relate to that feeling scared. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I was in Thailand when I was 22 years old in Bangkok. And um, there was a day where my friend and I somehow got lost. And I basically just went and sat in the hotel for the whole day. Because I was so scared to explore. Bangkok was quite intimidating, certainly yeah. for me um, at that age. But I remember thinking that I kind of felt almost ashamed of here you are in another continent and you're too scared to even go out, you know, uh, yeah. and, and exploring it almost like there was something, yeah, something wrong. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a key point as well, you know, where, certainly when I, w- I was doing the, the workshops for, for the charity is sometimes, you know, your brain a lot of the time is doing the job it's meant to do. So mm. like uh, give you the example of that time, you know, I've been there a couple of times and traveling around and, you know, that was before I was almost 21 and sleeping on the decks of boats, coming home and hitchhiking and taking things, buses through Europe and through Turkey and being on edge you know, and your your brain's meant to be on edge there because it's watching for things, you know, to yeah, happen. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I think it's just now the whole mental health area and developing that is very much about emotional intelligence. You know, mm. and I think we're speaking just now about young men. I think it's accepting that. And 
certainly my work in, in football as well is helping young people understand what is going on emotionally which is appropriate to the situation. Mm. You know, if I'm watching for walking down a street in, in Bangkok, I probably should be on edge, you know, mm. to what's coming on compared to that's different to sitting on my uh, sofa in my living room worrying yeah. what could happen in Brora or Inverness if I go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think making sense of our emotions a key one as well. Mm. How did you do that? How did, how did you get into acting then, Stephen, really? You know, because that, that's um, a huge emotional thing, as we spoke about. Yeah. Um, I was, so when I was at primary school, yeah. uh, primary school ages at like five to, five to 11, I did, I remember I did, um, uh, we did a little, sh- a little um, showcase once of Oliver Twist yeah. and, uh, and I played Oliver yeah. in it. And I, I don't remember it really, really clearly, but there was definitely an element of me that enjoyed that, enjoyed being yeah. on the stage enjoy performing. I'd always like when I was a kid, I used to love um, performing for my mum's friends when they came round. I used to be, as I think, a lot, I'm, I'm 40 years old, so a lot of kids my age were big, 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 big yeah. Michael Jackson fans. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I would put on Michael Jackson songs and put on a little hat and a glove. And so there must have been an element of me that just enjoyed showing yeah. off, um, enjoyed the applause as well, I'm sure. And then when I went to secondary school, um, high school, uh, there was a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, music teacher called Fiona McKenzie. Yeah. And uh, Fiona basically, you know, I think this is a lot, a lot of kids probably yeah. have stories like this, yeah. whether it's physics or chemistry or whatever it is that inspired them. A teacher, um, you know, can be the source of so much inspiration. Yeah. Fiona was, is just like an incredible force of nature. No one, no one could be like that. That description could be used, um, couldn't be used any better uh, than somebody like Fiona. She's just incredible. And uh, we did a lot of high school uh, musicals and uh, I got involved in them and loved it. And I think kind of her encouragement, my mum was very encouraging as well. My mum's really into musicals and um, uh, the arts and uh they both really encouraged me to to pursue it, and and it kind of went from there. I went to drama school at the Royal Scottish Academy, um, which is now called the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Yeah, I know the one where it is. Yeah. Yep. And um, and I kind of, in a way, <clears throat> I didn't necessarily fall into it, but I didn't know about any of the Scottish youth theatres or the National yeah. Youth Theatre or anything. It was just. Really, like, Fiona was just such a tremendous person. And she's now set up, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a place in Kilmarnock called Centre Stage. Okay. Uh, which Centre Fiona has yeah. set up, which is basically like a... I mean, I don't even know exactly how you would encompass everything they do, but it's a... It, for lack of a better... Forgive me, Fiona, if you watch this and I'm getting this wrong, but it's kind of like an arts centre, yeah. uh, in a way, for, for the age group starting almost like from as young as you can yeah. up to as old as you can and they do loads of different drama groups music groups singing groups they do incredible work in the community um and it's just grown and grown and grown and actually they've just taken over uh, an old school and mm. so their building is like, like the it's just expanding and expanding and for a place actually for anywhere for london it would be incredible 
but for a small town like Kilmarnock to have something like this is just phenomenal because I think the power of the, the drama can have on people um, uh, is incredible, both yeah. taking part in it and yeah. seeing it. Because you might never go on to do anything with drama in your life. But like you say, from a young age, it teaches you to kind of access emotions. And, um, uh, you know, I think it's a really powerful tool. I think it's incredible. There's a a few things you said there. And I agree totally, you know, with with drama and art to move people. I've just put a clip up on my football page where... uh, kind of analysing and talking about the Al Pacino um, any given Sunday speech, you know, yeah. inch by oh, yeah, inch. Yeah, 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 and yeah. any time anytime I watch it, you know, it's spine tingling. You can't help it. You know, it's just, yeah. whoa. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's an incredible gift to give the world and they're not getting mm. flowery with my language, isn't it? But that's the power of it. It moves emotion. You know, yeah. at its best, yeah, yeah. it moves emotion in people. Yeah, yeah. And, um, the other thing about you, you were saying, and I've heard that so many times about the power of one person to influence so many other people. Mm. You know, like you yeah. and a good friend of mine from Tenalt in Argyll, and he was okay. a, a gold medal medalist, mod singer. And there was one teacher, and she was responsible as well for that. There was almost from a little village, you know, Karen Matheson and Donald Shaw and all the Copper Cayley ones came out of through the power, right. you know, that enthusiasm of one person, just yeah. incredible, really. Yeah, no, no, it really is. And I can only, um, you know, I know that Fiona has, that's why she left, you know, she she left the school to set up this because yeah. she wanted to, um, you know, I guess like the, the teaching system yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah. lend itself, increasingly it sounds, doesn't lend yeah. itself as much to the arts or maybe the value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of it, and so I just I know she's inspired so many people yeah. uh, over the years, and um, yeah, I mean if I, if we hadn't had somebody like Fiona at our school, I don't know, yeah. you know I don't know if I would have known. Yeah, here's a question in terms of you know we were speaking earlier about I suppose emotional intelligence and mental health, of, you know, to, especially within men. Did you feel any opposition to going into the arts, you know, external or internal? Oh, I mean, certainly, like when I was at when I was at school, yeah, yeah. when I was at secondary school. So I was at secondary school in the nineties, yeah. And um, I don't know if this has changed, yeah. if attitudes have changed or not now. I, I certainly hope they have. But I had long hair for a while yeah. as well, so I had yeah. hair down to about there. Yeah. And because I was in the school shows and I sang and yeah. I was, yeah. um, you know, and so some people in the school knew that. A lot of the time, you'd walk past some other boys and they'd, right. they'd call you a poof or something, or you get called like gay. Yeah. I mean, just like such a cliched box. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Kids are like, kids are so ah. you know, uh, nasty to yeah. each other as well. Yeah. And it's out, you know, it's out of ignorance, it's ah. out of immaturity. Yeah. 13, 14, you don't know. I hope yeah. that's changed because I hope yeah. awareness yeah. around sexuality has changed yeah. Yeah. so much as well over the last couple of decades. But um, yeah, you would get you would get a lot of that yeah. as well, yeah. um, and um, but not necessarily. So I that's stuff never really bothered me yeah. to be honest either. Yeah. Just like okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, I never found that you know to be an insult. I just couldn't. You know, it was just stupid. Um, but not like my parents were supportive of it. I don't think like it took my dad a while yeah. to totally 
um, get with it. My mum was always just like 100% um, go for it. But I guess, you know, I'm a parent now and, you know, my daughter's only two, but maybe I can already see you just, you kind of just think your kid is so amazing. So like my mum yeah. just always, and when you're the lead, I was a lead in the school shows and stuff. You don't actually realise that like when you get out into the acting world, it's really, really, really bloody tough. And then there's hundreds of thousands of people who have been the leads in their school shows and there's all this competition yeah. and, um, but, uh, and I think the first few years, cause I, I found it very, very tough. My first few years at a drama school and experienced like really long-term unemployment um, from, I, I always did other jobs, like um, bar jobs, yeah. uh, office jobs, but I would go months and months and months without any acting work. And I definitely remember my dad saying to me a few times, you know, why don't you, would you, you know, ever consider maybe going and doing teacher training or, yeah. and I was just like, you know what, until I feel like I've exhausted mm. this entirely, I just couldn't, I couldn't give up. You know, I remember being about 26 or 27 and that, that point where I was like, right, I've been out of drama school for six years now and I haven't worked much at all, but I realized that, you know, my life, the way I was living my life wasn't helpful at all yeah, so I had to make yeah. huge drastic yeah. changes to my lifestyle yeah. and um, you know I thought if I give this a proper shot and I know that I've given it my all then maybe but at that point I just thought I would rather uh, I'd rather sacrifice or not have mm -hmm. any I'd rather not be making much money or not of any of this you know maybe some of my friends that were 27 that got full-time mm -hmm. jobs and were buying houses or whatever mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, that stuff isn't important to me right now. I need to really, really follow this mm. um, dream. Yeah. You know, because life is life is so short. And what is life about, ultimately, I don't know. You know, it's about mm. something different for a lot of different people. But at that point, uh, you know, I just didn't want to uh, give up. And was that, because that, you know, it's a couple of real important points, I think, for people that are listening, especially young young people, because... A, the first thing, there was something inside you, and it doesn't have to be, isn't it, that always kind of uh, fireworks and I'm going to do this, but there was something inside you that said, this is the path, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, I think kept you going. I think I, I, I still had like a modicum of belief in myself that I thought, you know, I just, I know I can do better at this, and I felt like I just hadn't had... I felt like I hadn't had the opportunities. Mm. I felt like I wasn't giving myself mm. the opportunities. Mm. And, I, and I knew that as well that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't giving myself the best opportunities in the way mm. that I was living either. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I, need to make these, I need to make these changes oh, yeah. um, and then see. Because yeah. uh, I think when you get into, you know, certainly when I was at drama school, yeah. and I don't know what, I, I think yeah. a lot of actors must be like this, but I don't necessarily know. But when I was at mm. drama school, I was, I remember people used to call me arrogant or cocky, yeah. and I'm probably, I was to some degree, yeah. I absolutely thought, I thought I'm going to leave drama school and just be really, really successful straight away, yeah. because why not? Yeah. I just totally, I, I had no idea, yeah. no idea how the acting world worked, yeah. and I thought, well, I've always done okay, yeah. you know, I was the lead in yeah. the school shows, yeah. blah, 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 and I left drama school and got a bit of a rude awakening yeah. um, in that sense and was very, very, very humbled yeah. um, by that. But actually for me, and I've said this before, I went back to my old drama school and did a talk a few years ago. 
And I was saying that those years out of work mm. for me made me realize even more how mm. much I wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure if I'd worked, I would have enjoyed that as well. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, we're, if we're looking at life as a series of lessons, mm-hmm. in a way, I, I had a lot of lessons to learn, um, I think, during that time. And I think I learned some of them. And, um, yeah, there was something about that there was something about the lack of actually getting to do what I wanted to do made me want to do it even more. Yeah. And, you know, working in sport a lot, like I do, you know, what you're describing, one, and it's a great testament to yourself, actually, and, and, and probably people around you is, you know, there's a difference between the fixed and growth mindset, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. the fixed mindset is, you know, like you were describing at school, when you used to be number one at something, and then yeah. you come out and everyone's as good as you. And yeah. it's how you react to that. And because what you're describing to me and, and it is very admirable is that's a growth mindset. You know, when mm. you hit and it's the things that worked in the past have stopped working. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I call it the old oh shit moment. You know, oh shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> but you kept that. Yeah. And, and that's the growth mindset is a growth that, mm. that I'm going to find a way through that. Because mm. and I'm not just saying this, is most people stop at that point. Mm. You know, when you hit that, when, mm. oh, shit, it stopped working, I'm not getting the equivalent of the applause, that thing. Right, mm. I'll go back to a level where I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you kept in it. And I think that's a great lesson for everyone, anyone that's listening about following, and we're talking about following your dream, but just following that calling within you, isn't it? This is the yeah. kind of thing I want to go and have a look at anyway. No, completely. And I think, you know, I think there was a, Everyone has to make their own decisions and their own yeah. choices in life and whatever works for you, great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of people, was, I don't know what the rates are, but I remember when I was at drama school and somebody came in our final year and did a mm-hmm. talk and he said, look, 5% of you will come out, yeah. you know, and work straight away. He was like, most of you will come out and work in bars and restaurants. And da, 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 da. He said, probably after a few years, like half of you mm-hmm. will give up. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll be in the 5%. I'm not going to be working in bars or anything. And, um, you know, obviously I was. But, and then, if, you know, a few years in, like a lot of people had decided, no, this isn't for me. I want to do, you know, I want to do something else, which is completely and utterly um, fair enough because actually that lifestyle isn't, uh, isn't for everyone. And it definitely crossed my mind sometimes, you know, should I just move back? I'm still in London. Should I move back to Kilmarnock? get a normal job, whatever a normal job is. You know, maybe I could um, get into amateur dramatics or something, just to get back on the stage and stuff. And um, But I just thought, I'll just like, you know, I'll, I'll regret this forever if I don't keep... Because actually also at that point, to be honest, when I was 26 or 27, I still didn't, I felt like I still didn't really know what acting mm. was. Mm. I was like, I haven't done this enough to really know. Mm. If I, if I like it or not anyway because even when you do start doing well and you start to get more consistent work you're still like there's still periods where you're not working yeah. it's rare to be working five days a week yeah. as well it's an interesting you know it's a lifestyle that's quite tricky because and I think a lot of people probably are finding in a way in this lockdown that when you don't have your routine and you don't have your structure that's a different sort of um, battle and it's um, it's something that I've had to uh, you know, I think create for yourself over the years your own structure and your own uh, your own routine. I think that's a real 
interesting points. And certainly I learned for myself as well, doing what I do, especially when I'm speaking in front of people and doing talks. When I was first doing it, you know, it's 20 years now, I wouldn't count the thinking time as work. You know yeah. what I mean? So I wouldn't, yeah, like the equivalent of you thinking about your car, I wouldn't count that as work. The only time I was working would be if I was in front of someone speaking. And of course, that creative bit before it hmm. is the most important bit, isn't it? Is the, the bit. Oh, totally. Yeah. And the I think that's, the, yeah, carry on. The, the, the hardest, um, the hardest bit of acting is, uh, you know, when you're out of work and you don't know what's coming up next or like the hard work is doing the auditions, you know, uh, doing it in the same way as like if you're doing an interview, preparing the interview, except as an actor, you've got interviews, you know, you don't just have one or two a year um, or, you know, one or two every five years or something. It's quite, excuse me, it's quite um, uh, regular. And so that's, that's the work and it's all unpaid work. Yeah. as well yeah. so yeah. The, the easy bit normally is when you get the job because yeah. then when you're on set and when you're with everyone and you're part of the team it's a real joy and um yeah. not all the time but most of the time yeah. what and we spoke earlier before we get so came online there is is i've noticed you're you in so many roles over the last year what kind of parts have you been doing over the last year for folks um so last year in particular, actually, yeah. I played three um, very different, certainly on paper, very different parts yeah. anyway. Um, I play, I did a TV show called Cobra yeah. for Sky One at the yeah. start of last year uh, with uh, Robert Carlyle, yeah. and which has ended up being eerily prescient in a way. Yeah. How do you pronounce that word? I'm never sure. Prescient? Prescient. It sounds good, definitely. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and... Um, about uh, a nationwide disaster, basically, yeah. you know, where the power gets yeah. um, cut and the UK goes into a sort of lockdown and, you know, weeks pass. And fortunately, this hasn't happened here, but, you know, the country, well, I think losing your electricity is different. But anyway, the country goes into kind of uh, meltdown. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I played a uh, chief constable um, in that who was out kind of in the field uh, running about trying to save people in um, uh, uh, kind of orchestrate all the, the, the police work up in the, it was kind of, I was set, my, my part of the storyline was set up in the north uh, of England and uh, it was great, really, really, I, I had a brilliant time doing it and, um, and it, it was uh, apparently very well received on Sky um, as well and, uh, and then after that I did a film uh, called Martyrs Lane and I kind of if I say a horror story, the, the director wouldn't be happy. It's not a horror story. It's like a kind of psychological ghost story, oh. uh, really. And um, I play a minister in that, actually. Right. Um, and uh, really a very, very, very different part yeah. from, um, from, the, from the cop uh, in Cobra. And then at the same time, and just after that, I did another TV show called A Discovery of Witches. Right. Oh, um, Another show yeah. for... Uh, for Sky One uh, and we finished filming that just at the start of the year and I play a vampire in that right. um, a Scottish vampire who's kind of a soldier of fortune who's been around for a few hundred years and uh, he's he's one of the best friends of the main character in it and um, very loyal and uh, uh, very fierce 
but yeah. also very light-hearted yeah. and um, um, kind of very, uh, uh, he's kind of like the quite balanced one who's, oh. you know, oh. brings a lot of reason to situations. So it was good. It was really, really good fun to play, actually, because yeah. he was quite a, uh, quite a complex character uh, in that sense. That that reminds me when you're speaking there, uh, I'm getting echoes of one of my, my most uh, favourite films of all time, Highlander with Christopher Lambert. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, yeah. that is just. Well. I actually, well, I worked with Christopher. Did you? Uh, Lambert years and years oh, ago yeah. on a, hor- a horrendous film that is never, I don't think it's even recorded that on IMDb. Oh. I don't think I. I, I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing there. He yeah. definitely didn't know what he was doing there. And I remember <laughs> we're, we're, he, he, he was very quiet, kept himself to himself. And then we started speaking at one point. And he said, um, he said, are you Scottish? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, uh, I did a film in Scotland uh, many years ago. And I was like, oh, did you? He yeah. <laughs> said, yeah, it was Highlander. Um, I don't know if that actually filmed in Scotland, though, did it? Maybe it did. Yeah, uh, they, they had. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was living in London at the time when it was, and I just loved it. I just loved that, it. that contains, I think, one of the best and kind of most ridiculous scenes, maybe in film history, when him and Sean Connery meet for the first time. And Sean Connery introduces himself as something like, hello, my name is Swan Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, with a... Valencia of whatever, like the Spanish character. And then uh, Christopher Lambert's like, my name is Jean McLeod of the Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, just... And coming back to the, the role you played before, you know, before that in Cobra, I think I heard one of the best interviews with Robert Carlyle when he was talking about the implausibility of his character. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. Well, I said that, so I was like, when I was um, at the beginning of filming, I was saying to him, you know, my, my brother's quite a high-ranking mm-hmm. cop, and so for me to get cast as a chief constable, really, I would be like, you know, I'm only 40, I was only 39 when yeah. I did that, so yeah. I would have been an incredibly, incredibly young Chief, right. like the youngest yeah. chief constable ever. Yeah, but... So I was saying to Bobby, I was like, yeah, I don't really, like, I don't know if I necessarily feel like I'm the sort of guy that would be at the very top yeah. rank of that. And he was like, how do you think I feel? I'm playing the prime minister. <laughs> you know, a Tory prime minister I as well. So, which I thought I was laughed. great casting, actually. Really yeah. interesting. I laughed because he, when he said about the accent, mm. when he said, how do I get an accent? Then I thought about the rugby players. That oh yeah, that's right. That don't quite sound Scottish. It's just a hint yeah. of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Brilliant. So, and I think I think the other one I I loved Jane, which was really good, was the Richard Gear. Oh yeah, mother, father, son. Yeah, that was a. That's right. I forgot that was on last year. Yeah, we we filmed that the year before, but that was on TV last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was great fun. I mean, such a. Absolutely, all my the, the cast were just so good. And that yeah. you know, Helen McCrory, Richard yeah. Gere, Billy Howe, yeah. uh, Neve Olgar. Um, yeah. I could go on. You know, yeah. Sarah Lancashire. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was brilliant. So if we kind of wrap up, so that's an amazing. You can see your journey through there, and I think what strikes me certainly when I'm listening to you speak, Ian, is, is you knew where you wanted to go, and it's not that you know all dancing bells and whistles. I'm going to be there, but you know, that, that's been, 
you know, Jung sp- spoke about it as we've all got a golden thread through our lives, you know, mm. that, you know, that life can only really be lived going forward, but makes sense going back. But yeah. some of us, yeah, yeah. some of us are, are able to look at some points and seeing it's really obvious the places you shine or the places you're more like yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, and it sounds to me like when I'm listening to you speaking, the, the acting and being in that whole area from a young age felt right for you. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think so. And I think I've been really, I think I've been really, really lucky yeah. as well. You know, I think I've been very lucky. And when, I, when you were saying that there, I was thinking what I've been very lucky at with in my life as well as meeting particular people at certain points in my life. I think that's, you know, the, the, the kindness of strangers who then become friends. And, um, you know, Fiona was such a huge part uh, of my life, you know, as a, as a teenager. Um, the, um, you know, my parents, uh, obviously. Um, and then in my 20s, you know, when I was, when I was struggling, I, I met some people who, um who were a fantastic fantastic influence you know um i don't know if you know there's an actor writer comedian director ben miller um, okay. who was part yeah. of it. and uh, ben i met in my mid-20s and ben was just like a fantastic source of inspiration and help and um you know at a time when i really lacked in confidence mm-hmm. helped to you know kind of give me some confidence back and i think we're uh you know, I've been I've I've been very lucky in that sense meeting people like that because I think everyone needs they need yeah. a bit of a they need a hand they, yeah. they need they need some support they need encouragement I certainly you know I certainly did anyway and I like to, you know I like to think as well underlying all that it's like my <laughs> my wife said to me yesterday I think I've been handling lockdown not too bad and she said are you going to say anything positive this week. Or, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> This week, <laughs> yeah, the whole week. Are you just going to moan all week? And I was like, "What? I haven't been moaning, have I?" <laughs> and I think actually, you know, I am. I'm ultimately, at my core, I think I'm optimistic, yeah. and I think like I have always had big dreams and stuff. But underlying that, and still actually, always something I have to fight against. And I don't know if it's been Scottish. Yeah. I don't know if it's. Uh, childhood I don't you know is like there's there is an underlying kind of I don't know if it's necessarily a pessimism mm-hmm. but like fear I suppose fear of like you know things going wrong or still fear of the yeah. um, fear of the unknown in a way whilst at the same time I also crave the unknown and get yeah. excited mm-hmm. about the unknown but I guess it's that kind of yin and yang in a way and uh, and still fighting against the um so, because I think I should pay, that has been leveled at me before. I'm very, very positive about other people and very optimistic yeah. for other people's chances in life, but not necessarily always the same yeah. um, about myself. Yeah. Um, you know, my mum, I've actually said the same thing to my mum, and my mum calls herself a realist. If I ever accuse her of being pessimistic, she's like, I'm a realist. A realist. So I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a realist, yeah. but, um, uh, but also ultimately, I think. Uh, I guess ultimately, I think I've always been a dreamer. Yeah. I guess like when I was a kid, yeah. I was like yeah. that as well. You know. I think that's you know that's a brilliant kind of message to give people, and I think there's something if we speak, you know, coming from where we're coming from in Scotland, that I I was reminded reminded of it dramatically this week where I was doing family research years ago, about twenty years ago, and my grandfather, who I'm na- named after, 
I found his obituary and I, I knew him. Um, and he was brought up, he was born in the West Coast, in Lewis. And he lived in a one-room block house, Highland block house, 11 people, three generations. He was a soldier with the Seaforth Highlander. This is a long time ago. Fought a soldier wow. with the Seaforth Highlanders, worked on Clydeside, then became a sailor before becoming a minister at 40. And I think wow. there's something about, though, the just the... I'm hesitant to say Scottish or anything, but there's that thing that it's when you're brought up in an environment that actually environmentally is a harsh terrain. Mm. I think culturally there's a development that mm -hmm. you have to be aware of what could, you know, that thing about surviving. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. I think there's something within this in that. Certainly what I notice there. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a classic Scottish thing I think of if, yeah. if everything's going well. I mean, yeah. there must be something shite around the corner, <laughs> you know. It can't, it can't, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely yeah. uh, a bit, you know, yeah. a bit like that. We actually, fun enough, you know, I'd had a very good. You were saying I had a very good and fortunate year last yeah. year, and then we moved house recently, and you know, kind of took a, a bit of a step up in the in the market in that sense, yeah. and you know, we're humming and hawing, should we do it? And I was like, well, you know we've got to assume that things are going to keep going. I can't always be like, because in the acting profession, you do never know. It's not yeah. like you necessarily turn the corner and that's yeah. it. You can turn the corner and then be unemployed for six months, but I've got to be optimistic about this. Yeah. And be like, you know, something, something out of the ordinary would have yeah. to happen for this to go yeah. wrong. And then suddenly you're faced with a global pandemic. <laughs> but I know. I, I mean, don't want. But actually then suddenly that's happened and you're like, okay, well, I mean, that is so left field yeah. and it's effect. Well, it's, I was about to say it's affecting it. It is affecting everyone. It's not affecting everyone the same way. And actually, I thought what Emily Maitland, is it Emily Maitland said? Yeah, that, um, yeah, she, yeah. I thought she'd really hit the nail on the head because yeah. there's been a lot of that said, hasn't it? That this is a yeah. great leveller. When in actual fact, it it's isn't not. really. You know, the people with, you know, th there's people who have got less than who are going to be far, far, far more affected uh, with this than the people who have, you know, are still fairly comfortable and have got more privileged lifestyles. And I think if we come back to, again, what you just said just a few minutes ago, and I think and it's true for us all, is, and, and it comes back to the mental health message as well, is we all need people, you know, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. No one does it alone, no, either in the success trail or if you're on a downward cycle, everyone needs someone to help them. And I think yeah. it's... You know, if some of us is, there is always people there to help you as well, I think. Yeah. That's totally. Weird. And I think we, you know, some of us are built differently in that way as well. I'm like, yeah. my wife, my wife just gets on with stuff. Yeah. She's quite used. I don't, she's an only child. So I don't know if yeah. it's something to do with that, something to do with the way she was parented, but she kind of just does stuff. Mm. Whereas when I do something, like I was building a swing for my daughter yeah. the other day. Uh, you know, I was video messaging, asking about four different people. Have I done this bit right? Yeah. Have I done that bit right? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm very much like, I want guidance a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah. I very much doubt the courage of my... In acting, not so much, but a lot of uh, other stuff, I still doubt the courage of my convictions. And I, yeah. and she's always like, why are you asking so many people? Uh, like, it's just the way I am. Uh, it's just, and obviously now as well, I don't now, I don't actually have a problem with asking people for help. Yeah. And I know that's a big thing in life. Yeah. Some people don't want to ask for help. Yeah. I pro I, I, maybe I do it too much. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think sometimes, I think sometimes I could be a little more stoic. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, again, it's just, yeah, that's, we are who we are, I suppose, as well. Oh, I know. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Stephen. And j just to finish with, if there's a message that you could give people, you know, or young people, regarding, especially regarding about, I suppose, mental health and looking after yourself and following, you know, your passion, what would it be? I think the thing, the, the word that sprang immediately to my head there when you said that was hope. Yeah. And so I think, like, when I was, when I was about 26 and I was going through you know, a tough time and mm. looking to make those changes in my life. I think I started to, you know, I met people like Ben and I, I had a sense of, of hope mm. or, or a sense of light mm. at the end of the tunnel. And there's a, there's a fantastic book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. And, you know, Viktor Frankl was a, a, an eminent uh, Jewish uh, psychiatrist yeah. um, who spent, what, three or four years in Auschwitz and... Yeah. Upon his release, wrote this book. Um, with I think he wrote it within about three months of his release because he wanted mm. it to be fresh. Mm. And one of his concluding um, thoughts during his time was there that the people around him, um, when they lost their hope, mm. when they didn't think there was ever going to be an end mm. to this, uh, he said that's when he noticed they would die of dysentery. Mm or flu or just, you know, you know, as he put it, basically they're, they're kind of hope mm. ebbed away. And I think for me, that's something that has been huge in my life. And I guess what kept me going at mm. times mm. Um, when I was either feeling down, you know, or feeling depressed or just feeling like this isn't going to happen for me, mm. whatever this is, you know, but just a chink of hope. hope. Uh, and that's a great message to finish and it's an amazing book as well Victor Frank oh, yes. I mean I, rec I recommend it to people yeah. again and again again particularly yeah. actually at this time yeah. uh, right now uh, as well I think it's a fantastic yeah. book brilliant and thanks for your time Stephen cheers Don cheers. thank you